Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 210 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Trapodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. We come off a week nine that saw Iowa lose its second straight game in blowout fashion to Wisconsin, making that 6-0 start really just seem like a distant memory. Two other top 10 teams in Michigan and Ole Miss fell to ranked conference opponents. We'll have more on Michigan later in the show. But Tony, it's now November, and conference play, obviously, is full speed ahead. It is. You know, we also saw the first college football rankings, and I think, uh, sadly, the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, were left out of that top. Were left out of the top four. Cincinnati, the same city where the New York Jets uh, basically pounded uh, the Bengals on Sunday with a Hall of Fame type of effort by uh, fill-in quarterback Mike White. Yeah, I mean, you could say that uh, Cincinnati's kind of having a rough weekend, but you know, certainly, hey. The Bearcats can kind of continue to win out and any of those top four teams lose, then, you know, there's a chance they kind of get in there, obviously. But again, I mean, it just shows that, uh, you know, power five conferences are, are always going to reign king in, in the playoff system. And, you know, that's why we're seeing all these uh, all these schools flock to these conferences so that, you know, they have these opportunities and also money. Yeah, I, I was surprised that Cincinnati was left out. I was surprised that Cincinnati was uh on the outside looking in and Oregon made the top four, but then again, last impressions are usually your strongest. Cincinnati has struggled the past couple of weeks. We didn't even see Oklahoma in the top six. Uh, and, and Oregon comes off a blowout and absolutely dominant win over uh, Colorado. So that's what the, the voters remember. We will get to this week's show in just a minute, but first a word from our sponsor. We're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC. World Series is now over, so there's no more betting on baseball. But you can also include your favorite Vegas casino games. In the end, just don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Now, I mentioned Michigan in the open, a tough 37 33 loss to Michigan State. Saturday, or maybe more specifically, a loss to running back Kenneth Walker. The Heisman candidate scored all five of the Spartans' touchdowns. I mean, just so explosive. The burst, the stop-start quickness is just so impressive. He's a complete back two. He can run on the inside, picks up yards after contact, catches the ball well. I mean, this was kind of the cherry on top, and obviously we still have a lot of time to go, but really the cherry on top of, of just an awesome season so far for Walker. But speaking of awesome seasons... Aiden Hutchinson is the player that we spotlighted in the preview last week. And really for the second straight week here, we discussed the top edge prospect 
and they recovered a fumble for a touchdown. Last week, it was George Karlaftis with a long return. This week, it was Hutchinson jumping on a loose ball that was already in the end zone. But unlike Karlaftis last week, there are plenty of opportunities to rush the passer in this game. And Hutchinson, very impressive doing it. Jarrett Horace, Luke Campbell really had no chance to stop Hutchinson. AJR Curry, he actually did a decent job, the best out of the three, certainly. But I mean, overall, Hutchinson was just constantly in the backfield in this one. Only had one sack, but countless pressures. He drew several holding penalties. He won inside, he won outside, showed impressive power, won with moves. I mean, just really did everything that you would expect a first-round prospect to. And that fumble he recovered, it's actually forced by David Ajabo, who on the other side of Hutchinson, six sacks over his last four games after just one in his first four, really breaking out with defensive attention, really focusing on Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, Ojabo is a guy, he's got great speed off the edge too, goes after the ball when he has the opportunity, did force a couple fumbles in this game. So really a dominating performance from not just Hutchinson, but also Ojabo. But despite that dominance from these pass rushers, the Spartans still end up winning the game, Tony. What did you see? I actually thought Horace played very well in the beginning part of the game. I, I mean, uh, Michigan really, that game turned in Michigan's favor when Horse was taken out because they rotate him at, on, on the uh, left tackle spot and they put in a guy by the name of Dan, Van Opstel. And when they put Van Opstel in, I mean, that's when Hutchinson really elevated his game and started getting a lot of pressure. What happened was late in the game, Horse just seemed to run out of gas. I mean, he, he has to improve his strength at the point of attack. He may not even be a left tackle prospect for the next level. He, they may have to push him into guard, but he's fundamentally sound, uses his hands well, but he's got to get stronger. He's got to uh, gain more endurance because, you know, Hutchinson really, uh, really created a lot of havoc late in the game. And after they rotated Van Horst, uh, uh, Jared Horst out. Um, but again, you know, that, that's what you expect a first round prospect to do. I thought Horst had an okay game. I grade him as a late round uh, selection. He's a listed as a fourth year junior, although he's actually a fifth year player uh, because of the extra year of uh, eligibility. There's some question as to whether or not he's going to enter the draft. There's a lot of questions as to whether or not he's going to play uh, left tackle. He is a prospect, though. If you kick him inside the guard, he's just got to get a little bit stronger. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned kind of you know horse wearing out. I mean, maybe that is why they're kind of rotating uh, him in and out of the lineup. I mean, you mentioned uh, in Horso, there was Luke Campbell, too. I mean, you know, Campbell comes in on one drive for horse, and I think Hutchinson beat him like three plays in a row. It was yeah. it was pretty bad. Um, it, may, it may have been Campbell that uh, I may be uh, – I may have misspoke when I said it was Van Opstel. Um, but it, there was that point in, ga- in the game, which was in the first half, where they uh, rotated Jared Horst out and Aiden Hutchinson just went off. I, they, he, they couldn't stop him. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was obvious. I mean, and you could see like it's not Jared Horst in the game. You know, and as you said, Horst played all right. But yeah, it, it, it was not going well really for anybody, but especially, you know, a backup type of offensive lineman, a complete non-prospect going against Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, you really just really just have no chance there. But Tony, I'm curious what your thoughts on, uh, on Ojabo were, um, you know, just what he's done over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, he was a riser this week on my column at Pro Football Network. He's big. He's explosive. He's incredibly athletic. He's got a great amount of upside. You see him stand over tackle. They can't stop him. He's more explosive than Aiden Hutchinson, better at, or he seems like a better athlete. Don't know what his actual testing numbers are. I think the thing with Ajabo is, you know, he he's only really done it for half a season because I think last year he had one – tackle in in total and the prior year uh he was basically on the he was redshirted so you know he's got great upside it's just a matter of can he consistently play at this level 
rather than, than just being a flash in the pan. I grade him right now as a third round pick. He could go a lot higher, but if he doesn't duplicate what he's showing on the field or he kind of, you know, kind of comes back to earth, if he does, uh, you know, he could fall into the, into day three because people are going to think that he's, you know, a, a uh, this, his play recently is the exception to the rule rather than the norm. And moving on here to Wyoming and San Jose state, the second game in a row where a pair of Spartans or a team full of Spartans, I should say, came up on top 27, 21, another nice game for tight end Derek Deese jr. Five catches, 81 yards. And he's hit at least those numbers in four of his past five games. So very consistent recently for Derek Deese as the top target at San Jose state on the Wyoming side. Linebacker Shad Muma, another 10 tackles, five of them solo, showed his usual instincts, good pursuit angles. But Tony, what we wanted to see and what we talked about a lot on last week's show was Muma's speed. We didn't really see it coming in, but scouts do say, as we discussed, that he's going to time pretty well. Did you learn anything from this game, particularly when it comes to his speed against Derek Deese? Not really. I mean, I didn't think Mumba played all that well. He's a big, imposing guy. He's incredibly intense, and he's got great instincts. But if you watch the game, he was constantly getting caught out of position. I mean, he was over-pursuing the action, which is usually something a guy who with great instincts doesn't do. Uh, I really didn't see him too much in coverage. I spoke with somebody who was at the game who said, yeah, he looked great in coverage. I didn't see it, and I watched that game. Uh, so I, I thought Mumu is basically gave me what I thought he was going to give me. He, I have him as a day three uh, selection, a fifth round pick, who's going to be a real good middle linebacker, but is more of a two down defender. Deese just keeps impressing the hell out of me. Had that one bad drop where he took his eyes off the ball before he actually caught it and turned and ran up field, except he you know, forgot to bring the ball with him. But besides that, he made a lot of difficult catches. His blocking really impressed me. He had a terrific block on a uh, touchdown run that kind of sealed the game late in the contest for San Jose State, developing into a, a complete three-down tight end. I think with uh, with Deese, the question is, how fast can he run? And we talk about Muma's speed. It's going to be the same thing with Derek Deese. If he does not test well uh, prior to the draft, he's going to go very late. If he tests well, I think he's going to be a middle-round pick, uh, despite the fact that this looks like it's going to be a real good tight end draft. Now, our last Week 9 review takes us to Notre Dame where we were looking to see what UNC quarterback Sam Howell was going to be able to do against this Irish defense, albeit one without potential top 10 pick Kyle Hamilton. And I mean, dare I say this was Sam Howell's best game of the season, 24 out of 31, 341 yards, only threw for one touchdown, did have an interception. Uh, But I mean, really, despite those lack of touchdowns, I mean, the efficiency that he worked with, uh, he was under duress all game ran 17 times for 102 yards. And most of those, there were a few design runs sprinkled in, but most of those runs were, oh man, there's someone right in my face. I have to escape. And he did it pretty well. He only took three sacks, ran for a long touchdown as well. So you know, showed that aspect of his game. Certainly had a couple bad throws, that interception he had early in the fourth quarter. It was just not near his receiver. It was in double coverage. It was a bad decision. It was a bad throw. And it really more or less sealed the fact that UNC was going to lose this game because that Tar Heels defense just could not stop the Notre Dame offense. It was a one possession game then turned into a two possession game and really never that never changed the rest of the way. But overall, I thought Howell was hitting his receivers in stride, showing good velocity on his balls, stood in against that pressure, too. I mean, I talk about him escaping and running away from it, but, you know, he delivered some real nice balls right in the face of pressure while taking hits, um, wasn't forcing passes. I mean, really overall, just peppering Josh Downs with targets, as we talked about in the preview, 10 catches, 142 yards for Downs. 
I mean, overall, it's been a rough season for Sam Howell and his draft stock. It's compared to expectations that were placed on him entering the year, but really traded blows for three quarters here, back and forth against a far better football team than UNC. I was impressed. I'm not sure that it's enough to fully resuscitate his draft stock for next year, but definitely was not a performance that, you know, kind of makes you continue to shake your head or say, you know, okay, that's the final nail in the coffin for his stock. But, you know, Tony, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I was not, I'm not going to be as effusive in my praise. He had some nice throws. He had some nice plays. He had some throws where, you know, you're harking back to what you saw in 2020, what you expected to see in 2021. But as you mentioned, he also had a lot of bad throws. I, I think part of the problem is, you know, regardless of whether he's running for his life, they run him too much. I think, though, you know, he's not an RPO quarterback. He's not an immobile quarterback. I mean, he's got the ability to elude defenders and scramble around and make plays. But I just think North Carolina, for whatever reason, is relying on him too much to make plays with his legs. And that's not the type of quarterback he is. And you could get him hurt real, uh, you know, badly. Uh, I understand North Carolina's got to win games. They want to try and get out of their funk. I thought it was an okay effort for Sam Howell. Was it better than uh, the previous, uh, what he's shown so far? I, yeah, obviously, because he kept them in the game really through the first half and he made some nice throws, but he, there was also a lot of inconsistency there. And now it is time to look ahead to week 10 of the college football season. We'll break down several matchups between 2022 NFL draft prospects. It could have an impact on what we see from them in next year's draft and, and where they end up going. We're going to start in the Big Ten where two weeks ago, Illinois beat Penn State in nine overtimes. Last week, Illinois lost to Rutgers. So things back to normal with the Illini, who now face a Minnesota team on a four-game win streak, just extended head coach P.J. Flack through the 2028 season. And for Minnesota, athletic pass rusher Boye Mafi, eight tackles for loss, six sacks this season. He's going to find himself going against Illinois left tackle Vidarian Lowe pretty often on Saturday. And now between the two, it's a bit of a contrast in styles. Lowe's a big guy. He's strong at the point. He's no sloth. He can move a little bit, but Mafe really as much of a test for Lowe in terms of athletic ability as Lowe is of strength for Mafe should be a fun one, Tony. Yeah, I mean, Mafe is athletic. He's more of a linebacker or an outside linebacker for the next level. And he is going to be a defensive end. 6'4", 255 pounds. Uh, runs a four six five outside linebacker type size and speed in a three four. Maybe he grows into the defensive end position. Two things about him: he's intense and he's smart. Gets the most from his ability. As you said, he's athletic. He's fast off the edge. He beats opponents mentally as well as he does physically. Uses his hands well. Uh, Verdaniel Lowe is a guy who I've liked for the past three years at left tackle. I don't know that he's going to stay at left tackle uh, in the NFL. He's probably more of a right tackle, if not a guard. But he's got good size. He adjusts well. He's also a smart player. Uh, he just has some limited athleticism. So the question is, you know, can Mafeg stay away from Verdanian Lowe's blocks and exploit him around the outside? Or is Lowe able to use his size and power to uh, neutralize Mafe uh, for the four quarters? From the Big Ten to the Big 12, a passing game matchup between Baylor and TCU. Baylor right now riding high at 7-1. and one. TCU, on the other hand, Three straight losses, just one conference win. But the Horned Frogs do have an impressive cornerback, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. The one thing about Hodges Tomlinson, though, the one negative, I guess, not a big guy. Definitely more of a nickel prospect 
for the NFL level. He's not, he's not big in terms of height and he's not big in terms of weight, but last season did have 13 pass breakups this year, just two with two interceptions. But what that means to me, teams saw his breakout 2020 season and they're actively avoiding him this year. You don't really want your cornerbacks breaking up 20 passes a season. You're okay with them breaking up only a couple because it means no one's throwing their way because they're just always blanketing receivers and coverage. Now the rest of the TCU defense pretty suspect though. So probably where Baylor is going to attack the bears have two late round wide receivers, RJ Sneed and Tyquan Thornton, Thornton, taller, lanky guy, great catch radius, enough speed to get behind defenses. Sneed a bit shorter, not short, but shorter than Thornton. He's sturdier. He's good with the ball in his hands. And both guys have enough size over six feet tall to give Hodges Tomlinson some trouble. What do you think about this particular matchup, Tony? And don't forget, I, I mean, TCU lost two secondary players uh, to early uh, entry of the NFL draft. Darius Washington, who's with the Baltimore Ravens, and, and, and Trayvon Morig, who's also playing in the league. Both played safety, although Washington was more like a nickel safety who played over uh, the slot receiver. I think that Hodges Tomlinson is a faster version of a Darius Washington who entered the draft. There were high hopes for him. Then he went on to run like a four, six or something terrible like that during pro day, which pushed him out of the draft, but he is on an active roster. Like you said, I mean, the only problem with him is he's, he's got size limitations or height limitations. I mean, he looks small. He probably goes about five, eight and a half tops, but he's got outstanding ball skills. What I like about him is the way he makes plays with his back to the ball. He's not one of these guys that kind of gets stuck and does a lot of face guarding. He gets his head back around. Now, as you mentioned, the uh, Baylor receivers are going to have a size advantage and height advantage over them. You know, uh, Thornton has also got some terrific speed. Uh, He's not a true downfield blazer, although he runs in the low four fours. I think it's a matter of him learning to play to that speed, uh, which would really help his draft stock. But he's having a good season. It's going to be a good matchup. It's going to be a tough matchup for uh, Hodges Tomlinson. uh, But I I think he's up to it as far as his uh, football skill. Now heading to the SEC, we have battles on both sides of the ball in a matchup between Mississippi State and Arkansas. When the Razorbacks have the ball, we're going to watch for a pair of juniors, wide receiver Traylon Burks against Rebels cornerback Martin Emerson. Now Burks, now he's a guy with good size, listed at 6'3", 225 pounds, but doesn't play like just a big wide receiver. He's got awesome body control, both in the air and along the sideline. He's got enough speed to get behind the defense. Tough to bring down after the catch. So far this season, 42 catches, 717 yards, and seven touchdowns in eight games. Had similar numbers last year in just one extra game. Looking at Emerson, also has great size. He's well over six foot. He excels in coverage. Teams kind of like Hodges Tomlinson. Haven't really been throwing his way much this year, at least compared to last year. So, again, the numbers are down, but we're not too worried about that. Yeah, I, I mean, Traylon Burks is everybody's favorite receiver these days. He's a big guy who's exceptionally fast. He gets down the field. He shows himself to be a good vertical receiver. As I mentioned at Pro Football Network, I'm told he's going to enter the draft. The problem is, while you say he's got a great catch radius, and he does, he plays with excellent body control, he's got a very limited route tree. I mean, you see him beat opponents with his size and with his speed, but he doesn't run very good routes. Uh, and that's something to keep an eye on to see if he can improve that during the season. As far as uh, Martin Emerson's concerned, as you mentioned, he's got terrific size. He's a feisty guy. He's very aggressive. He does not have the speed. If you watch that Alabama game, he was getting pummeled by the Alabama receivers. He could not stay with them out of their breaks. He could not stay with them uh, uh, down the field. I think Emerson may have to move inside the safety. 
Uh, and he's got the playing style and the size to move inside the safety. I think that's a possibility, but Traylon Burks definitely has a speed advantage here. I'm told, like Burks, Martin Emerson, very likely to enter the draft. I think from what I'm hearing, he's overvaluing himself a bit. Uh, a lot of people agree with me that he's going to have to move into safety, but we'll see. I mean, he can't have another uh, display like he did against Alabama where he couldn't stay with the receivers out of the breaks. He couldn't stay downfield with them uh, because Traylon Burks, you know, is making a name for himself as a vertical receiver. And we'll see if Emerson, you know, has the ability to, you know, keep uh, Burks in tow rather than just chasing him down the field, trying to catch him. Now on the other side of the ball, we have Arkansas defensive tackle, John Ridgeway taking on Mississippi state offensive lineman, Cole Smith in interior battle in the trenches, Ridgeway transferred to Arkansas from Illinois state. He's really held his own this year against sec opponents, 26 tackles in seven games, great height and size inside, but he's not just a big guy. He can make plays behind the line of scrimmage, three tackles for loss this year. He's got solid quickness and a great motor. We'll see how he does against Smith in this one, because similar to Ridgeway Smith also shows power and has movement skills as well. Should be a solid matchup inside in the offensive line here when these guys face off. Yeah, I mean, Smith is a guy who I had highly rated coming into the season. He really hasn't played that much. I'm not sure the exact reason why, whether he's been injured or not. He did start last week in the game against uh, Kentucky. Kentucky, that's got a terrific uh, defense. And guess what? Mississippi State handled him. So uh, I think Cole Smith was the reason why. He also got a nice player on the inside, the Quinston Sharp. And how they do against Ridgeway, I think, will have a big impact on their draft stock. Ridgeway's having a terrific year. I loved him when he was at Illinois State. He was someone who stood out. He showed that he's uh, up to the level of competition. He's a big athletic guy. Doesn't have great stats, but he's someone who's constantly causing an impact, constantly double teamed on the inside. One other matchup to keep an eye on this game, Trey Williams, the defensive end, outside linebacker type who transferred from Missouri, is having a real good season. A lot of people like him. He's a long, lanky pass rusher off the edge, going up against Charles Cross. And a lot of people have talked about Charles Cross, the redshirt sophomore left tackle from Mississippi State. There are some people that like him. There are some people that think he's overrated. I'm getting mixed reviews on him. But the fact is, as people are talking about Charles Cross, the left tackle from Mississippi State, and the matchup against Trey Williams is going to be a significant one. Now, last, but certainly not least, at least in most seasons, LSU, Alabama. Obviously, this year, a bit of a down year for the Tigers, just four and four, but still strong on the offensive line, especially in terms of NFL prospects. Pair of guards, Ed Ingram and Jason Hines, two guys who are potential second-day picks. Ingram, a bit more of a small-area mauler against the run. Hines also shows power. He's not weak by any stretch, but moves a little bit better than Ingram. Fits a little more of his own blocking scheme than Ingram would. Then you also have center Liam Shanahan, also a potential draft pick, albeit a couple rounds later than his teammates. That trio is going to face off against this Alabama defensive line, led by senior Fidarian Mathis. He's got good size, over 300 pounds, more of a five technique, and he's taking a nice step forward this season, especially as a pass rusher, 27 tackles, five for loss, four and a half sacks in eight games, tripled his career total. He has line mates, Justin Iboigby and DJ Dale, guys who aren't on Mathis's level as far as NFL prospects go, but do still pose a bit of intrigue. Definitely another battle to watch here on the interior. Yeah, I think DJ Dale's kind of picked up his game after an offseason in 2020. I mean, the Alabama linemen are big men. They're big athletic maulers who just push people aside. 
I liked Hines a lot coming into the season. I don't think he's lived up to expectations. Like you mentioned, Ingram is a bit of a smaller punch in the face type of uh, a blocker. Shanahan is solid. I think like most of the LSU uh, squad, I think these guys have underachieved this year. That's why Ed Orgeron will not be the head coach in 2022. This is a way for them to kind of get their draft stock back on, on track, especially against an Alabama team, an Alabama defense that just pushes opponents you know, all over the field. People talk about the explosive Alabama offense, which it is, and their quarterback, you know, Bryce Young is having a terrific season. Another Alabama quarterback that just comes out of nowhere, if you will, uh, to put up major numbers. Uh, but the Alabama defense, in my opinion, just does not get the credit it deserves because these guys are all going to be next-level players. They'll be scattered throughout the draft, probably middle to late rounds, but they're scheme versatile. You can put them in three-man fronts. You can put them in four-man fronts. And that interior of the LSU offensive line is really going to have uh, its work cut out. Jason Hines, a lot of people like him as a potential center at the next level. He adjusts well. He blocks with good uh, fundamentals, bends his knees, uses his hands well. I just think that there's kind of a malaise over that uh, LSU program since they won the national championship two years ago. And, and they seem to be in a funk that they can't get out of. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the positional versatility of these Alabama guys. I mean, I said that Mathis, you know, kind of like a five technique end, but I mean, he could easily probably be a three technique at the next level too. He's kind of got that type of size where he's either going to be on the outside of a three, four, or he's going to be kind of on the inside. He can move too. You know, you can have him play, you know, inside on rundowns outside on pass downs. You can kind of move him around. He's that versatile kind of chess piece along the defensive line. Um, you know, so if you combine him and then, you know, DJ Dale kind of playing the nose there, um, you know, you can just move these guys around. You can play multiple and, you know, that's a big part of, you know, the effectiveness of this Alabama defense as well. You could also put Vidarian Mathis at nose tackle. I mean, he's got the size, he's got the strength and the power, you know, to play a, a zero technique type of position or, or even, you know, be a true two gapper at the nose tackle. So, yeah, I, I mean, they're big athletic guys. I think uh, people kind of turn their noses away because they're, they don't have great stats, but, the, you know, their objective is not really to get to the quarterback. Oftentimes their objective is to occupy the blocks, take a, take on the blockers. So the Christian Harris's of the world, the Will Anderson's of the world, even some of the uh, DBs like the Josh Jobies of the world can blitz up the field and, and attack the opposing quarterback. And that's it for the 210th episode of the draft analyst presented by bet online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week with more games to discuss. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.